Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Friday, September 23rd, our final waiver wire show of the 2022 season. Got a few more episodes coming before the season actually comes to a close. And of course, we'll have a few off-season episodes sprinkled in between October, November, and December as we have the last couple of years. But it does feel like the season is winding down, especially for Al. Al, you were saying before we started recording that it's actually fall outside. It's not just this prolonged summer that I've been experiencing. Leaves are turning in New England. I'm, I'm sporting a fleece, uh, which feels like I haven't done in, I don't know, probably since uh, the first weeks of baseball season. Yeah, so I, I guess the, the weather is changing the way it should <laughs> for the end of the season. It's been a great year so far, and at least there's a few more uh, intriguing players to discuss on the wire for this weekend, including one that will likely debut on Friday night for the Rockies. We have not seen a lineup for the Rockies since we're starting this recording just after four o'clock Eastern. They're playing a little bit later in the evening, so we might not get a clear answer on this before we go. But Ezekiel Tovar was promoted from AAA on Thursday, didn't play in Thursday night's game. We've talked about him before. There's power, there's speed, a really impressive season at AA, a very brief stop at AAA. Now that we know he's actually up, this time last week I said I, I didn't think I could justify picking him up in redraft leagues simply because we didn't have a confirmation. We have that now. The schedule we talked about last week is still in place. It is six games against the Dodgers to eventually end the season for Colorado, so not exactly the easiest of pitching matchups, but... As far as your skills go, Tovar at least does a lot of things that could help your team in the remaining days of the season. So what types of leagues are you interested in him? Honestly, 15 teamers. That's that's it for me because between the fact that, like you said, a very, very brief time in AAA, um, who knows what sort of transition Tovar is going to be able to make. Uh, he not, won't have much time to make it. And then there is that schedule. Nine games remaining once our lineups lock on Monday. All of them on the road. Six of them against the Dodgers. Three of them against the Giants. Tough ballpark. Uh, tough uh, tough rotation. Uh, it's about everything that could be a negative <laughs> in terms of uh, uh, Tovar coming up and the timing of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I had a different kind of situation. I would certainly consider him for 12-teamers, but not in this situation. Yeah, definitely. Not the matchups you're looking for, and uh, not not being in Colorado for a you know stretch run also is a little bit of a a bummer. But a guy that I think is going to be firmly on the radar for us in 2023, given how quickly he moved through the Rocky system to make this debut at the end of 2022. Let's talk about a player in Oakland getting an opportunity, Jordan Diaz. 
A's have been moving him around a bit defensively. I think he's made four starts. I'm looking at it right now. One at first base, two at second base. One of those starts came as a DH. If you're watching us on YouTube, you see that it says third base on the screen. I think on a lot of sites, he's actually eligible at third base because of past levels of of contributions in the minor leagues. But there's still some questions defensively about whether he's actually going to stay there long term, as you can see just with the, the movement in his first handful of games. But he's probably there because he's going to hit regardless of where he plays defensively. And the bottom line is the playing time looks really safe. So I'm intrigued about Diaz, mostly in 15-team mixed leagues. I think you could maybe throw him in there in a 12-teamer if you're just desperate for help at third base. We've talked about that being a problem position throughout this entire season. Uh, But I do think there's still some possible warts that need to be addressed before Diaz can settle in and, and be uh, be the player that I expect him to be in the long run. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, similar situation, just tough to, to come up with uh, this little bit of time left. At least he has been up for a little while so far, but uh, he hasn't done a lot yet. And there's not much time left on the clock for him to really make the, the adjustments that, um, you know, again, if he'd been called up earlier, maybe he'd have the opportunity to make. But uh, also in terms of Diaz, I would agree with you. Probably the appeal there is 15 teams and deeper, but it's also very much dependent on what your category needs are. And that's something we've been talking about all month. It's a, it's a perennial thing. You know, we get to the last month of the season. We're looking at the standings. We're looking where we can make some movement and, and where to, to basically punt from, uh, from here forward. And uh, the one area where I feel confident that Diaz could help you is, is batting average. And there's only so much a player can help you in batting average over a 10 day period. But uh, if it's really bunched up, you, you have to do what you got to do. And Diaz is somebody in that situation. I would look to in a, like I said, in a 15 team league. Yeah. And the main skills war that I was referring to really is the limited walk rate. I think for a corner bat or a, a potential corner bat that does hit for a high average, does a good job keeping the strikeouts in check. It's going to take either adjustments to the eye he has to be more patient or he has to give you a little bit more power if he's going to be really stable across the board for us as a fantasy contributor but very young for a player debuting just turned 22 in the middle of August and a player that I'm pretty excited about for the long haul even if I'm sort of tempering my enthusiasm for the stretch run here over the next 10 days let's talk about Charles LeBlanc in Miami Eligibility now at second and third base in many leagues, so a little bit of versatility, which is nice to have for these final couple of lineup periods. We're seeing him play almost every day. I think he started nine of the last 11 games entering play on Friday, hitting pretty high in that Marlins order, and he's got a 10% barrel rate so far as a rookie. So you've got power, you've got speed, underlying numbers look solid, and you've got multiple positions. I'm curious what your interest level is in LeBlanc compared to guys like Tovar and Diaz, who I think have a lot more uh, prospect appeal. Yeah, I mean, strangely enough, I would be more interested in LeBlanc, I think, uh, for this last scoring period than the other two uh, you know, legitimate prospect types. Uh, I think that the the playing time, we don't worry about the playing time for Diaz, but I'm certainly more certain of the playing time for LeBlanc than I am for, for Tavar. And we've seen we've seen what LeBlanc could do at the major league level, at least for a little while now. And I'm pretty confident that if you, again, needed somebody to uh, hit for average and help you in that category, maybe give you a stolen base, or if you're really lucky, maybe a couple, then uh, you know LeBlanc would be a good player to, to pick up and start in some deeper leagues this week. Yeah, swing and miss, a bit of a concern, but he does do a lot of things well and, and higher up in the order than a lot of their players were looking at on the wire. So 
that playing time should be pretty firm for Charles LeBlanc the rest of the way. As we've talked about the last few weeks, keeping an eye on players coming off the IL is a great way to find some late-season value. Harrison Bader is back for the Yankees. He started three consecutive games in center field. I've always liked the the tools that he's brought to the table. His defense always keeps him in the lineup. I think the general philosophy I've had with Bader is don't rely on him for batting average. You'll get some power. You'll get some speed. It's just a question of, of how much it's going to be. This year... He was on a 30-steal pace before getting hurt. He's 15 for 17 as a base stealer with a 10-home run pace, which I think would make him a very productive Roto player if that's what he's going to do going forward. And one thing that Bader was also doing before getting hurt was he sustained the improved strikeout rate that we saw a year ago. And that was something that I think many of us were hoping to see. We just didn't know what was going to happen over another prolonged run of playing time. So I think the skills growth we've seen from Bader is actually pretty encouraging, even though he's shifting to be a little bit more of a possible like mid-range batting average guy with speed who offers a little bit of power as opposed to a batting average liability with a more even power speed mix. Yeah, it makes a big difference because, uh, you know, he's one player that we won't necessarily talk about as just merely being for a categorical need uh, over this this final stretch. Um the fact that he now remains in a, a good offensive environment, arguably maybe even a better one than the one that he came from. And I, the thing with Bader is that I have viewed him as sort of a, a streamer type for 12-teamers. Um, so he's kind of a little bit in, in a no-man's land that he's, for one thing, probably not available in 15-team leagues. And uh, it, it would be absolutely a new, no-brainer to be starting him there, but... 12 teamers it's you know everything's got to be kind of right in place and with him pretty fresh off of the IL I I would not be making more than a contingency bid for for Bader in a 12 team league this week but he'd, he'd at least be on my radar yeah definitely a target though leagues with 14 15 teams where you're starting four or five outfielders because I think the the counting stats get a boost being with another good team it's, it's not like he lost anything in terms of lineup quality but he's also in a more hitter friendly ballpark now so i think that's what gives him more of a, a nudge in the right direction now that he's a member of the yankees I, I was wondering if we would have any first base options you found a few that are standing out in recent weeks carlos santana like last week we were talking about elvis andrews this week we're talking about carlos <laughs> santana someone that can help you possibly uh, get to a fantasy championship I'm laughing because that's the lead to the uh, the final waiver column of the year is, uh, you know, saying that uh, Andrews was kind of an unlikely waiver target. If you look back, you know, a month, month and a half ago, but he uh, was one of the primary people we talked about last week's show. And and Andrews, uh, the, the first game this week, uh, got a couple of stolen bases, a couple of hits. He's still pretty bro- broadly available. So uh, Andrews, uh, I guess, probably could be added to this list. But Santana, kind of a similar deal, right? Um an unexpected rebound story uh, late in the season, hitting for a ton of power, uh, playing every day for the Mariners now, even getting some starts against lefties. So uh, you can't absolutely cannot uh, count on him for batting average. I think he's absolutely a no-go if you're trying to move up in batting average. But if what you need is home runs and RBIs, then uh, I, I think Santana is a priority even in 12-teamers. Yeah, we talked a lot about pitchers that you would trust if your ratios were already a mess and it didn't matter if they they blew up. I think you have to think about Carlos Santana that way with the batting average. Like if your batting average is already low or you feel like it's it's just locked in somewhere in in the standings pool, okay, great. Then 
go ahead and, and take advantage of the opportunity for Santana to offer up some homers, some RBIs, maybe even a handful of runs in these final games of the season as well. Um, the player that I like a little bit better from a, just a categorical balance perspective, though, is Josh Naylor. If they are both available, I'm more interested in Josh Naylor as a late season fill-in on the corner if I have to choose between the two. Oh, there's no question. I mean, there's a big difference between the two in roster rate. So if you needed somebody in a 14 or 15 teamer, uh, Naylor almost certainly wouldn't be available there. But Naylor is surprisingly available in 12 teamers. And yeah, clearly a a much better ad than Santana. Uh, maybe not quite as much um, projectable power for for this last week and a half, but um, like you said, you know, batting average, run production, hitting consistently in the fourth spot for the Guardians. So the Guardians have been one of the highest scoring teams in the majors uh, for the month of September. So he's in a prime spot in the batting order for an offense that's that's clicking pretty well lately. And I was actually surprised to see that Naylor uh, looked at a leaderboard on Fangraphs by uh, position. So it doesn't necessarily jive with fancy current fancy eligibility. But among players they had classified as first baseman, Naylor ranked 12th in RBIs among first baseman if you go from May 1st forward. Now, he didn't have a very good April, so that's why I make the arbitrary cutoff point. But still, if you look at the season from May forward, he's right up there with, with players like Reese Hoskins and Jose Abreu in terms of RBIs and uh, you know, he's in a great spot to finish up the season just as, as strong as he's been for the last five months. Yeah. I've kind of been interested in him as a, a deep league breakout bat for a couple of seasons. Now, I think the slow start this year might've been because of that knee injury, right? He was coming off of a, either a knee surgery or just a knee injury. I can't remember which it was off the top of my head, but that might have explained why that production lagged early on. He's going to get the 20 home runs for the first time in his career. If he can just hit one more, steals a handful of bases, keeps the K rate down. He's walking more than he did each of the last two seasons. Uh, and all this power is actually supported by a career best barrel rate, 8.5%. So I know Andres Jimenez is getting more attention for his breakout and it's deserved because it's to a much higher level. But Josh Naylor is another Guardians player who has taken a nice step forward for them. And it's part of the reason why I think this team is being overlooked. I'm guilty of overlooking them myself because I thought the White Sox were going to get hot and kind of play to their level. I even thought the Twins were going to be capable of passing the Guardians in the final weeks of the season. As we saw this week, that's not happening. The Guardians are going to win the AL Central, and I don't think anybody wants to see them come playoff time either, given their uh, current form. Let's talk about Taylor Ward for a moment. I imagine Taylor Ward was universally rostered when he was red hot at the beginning of the season and then over the course of the summer in shallow leagues he was finally dropped to the point of maybe being 65 to 75 percent rostered do you have a case for him to be rostered in shallow leagues again yeah i do i do actually now he's not hitting with quite the same level of power that he did in the first half when he was uh, i think you're right I think he was either universally rostered or really close to it so he hasn't gotten quite back to that level but he's hitting for average lately the barrel rate actually is pretty good not as high not double digits like it was in the first half but i think around eight or nine percent in the second half so he's probably been underperforming a little bit in terms of power production and uh, sort of like what we were talking talking about with Naylor, uh, you know, playing every day in a good spot in the lineup for the Angels. So somebody who would be reliable, not necessarily for home runs, but I think for runs, RBIs, and even batting average uh, over the last stretch here. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you've got questions, by the way, and you're watching us live, feel free to drop those in the chat. We'll try to answer a few of those as we move a little further along. A couple of other hitters I wanted to get to real quick. David Villar, who's been kind of a regular on this show, starting to get to his power a little more often at the big league level. And I was somewhat skeptical of him uh, coming off of, I thought, like a little bit of an underwhelming stretch during his first run with the Giants earlier this season. But they've really turned over a lot of playing time to him down the stretch. Yeah, which for the Giants is really saying something because usually there's only maybe two, maybe three uh, players uh, over a, a couple week stretch that uh, get true everyday playing time. Uh, as we know, a lot of moving parts there in that on that roster. So yeah, VR is getting uh, pretty much everyday playing time and, and earning it by hitting for average, hitting with power uh, since September 5th, a 286 average, five homers, nine runs, 10 RBIs. So definitely looking like uh, what he did in Sacramento earlier in the year where he was just hitting for all that power, that that wasn't necessarily a fluke. And getting back to what we were talking about at the top of the show, DVR, uh, with, with Ezekiel Tobar and players needing time to adjust. And VR looked like he wasn't, uh, it looked like he was overmatched when he first came up. And now he's hitting much more like the player you would have expected, given what his AAA stats look like. Yeah, I think we could say something similar about Brian De La Cruz getting an opportunity with the Marlins right now, too. I've been intrigued for pretty much the past year. I just thought there was enough in that minor league profile where if he got enough playing time, he'd actually be a net positive player for us in a lot of leagues. And he's been playing very well recently. Yeah, he has. I mean, it's really been up and down for De La Cruz. So uh, he did not make it into the column this week. Uh, but he has made it other weeks, so it's you know seems like he's good for you know two three weeks at a time, and then he he really falls off. But he's on a heater now, uh, nine for his last twenty nine with three home runs, and over that stretch six barrels. So that's actually uh, more than a barrel every uh, for every four batted balls. That's obviously a great ratio, uh, albeit with a uh, a really small sample. So if it's just you, you want a hot hand play in, in a fifteen team league, uh, I think that De La Cruz is going to be one of your better options. Yeah, at least a contingency type bid player for me. I would say if Harrison Bader had been dropped when he's on the IL and you're looking at Bader versus De La Cruz, I, I prefer Bader. I think the skills are are more stable at this point, but I do think De La Cruz is a perfectly fine backup option that you could put on that list to see uh, just in case someone else outbids you and just to make sure you get somebody who's playing a lot right now and, and doing some good things with that opportunity. Let's get to Edward Olivares in Kansas City. Is it going to be different this time? This is what I ask people every time it comes up. Is, is there any reason to think this is going to be the time for Edward Olivares to make his mark? I, I mean, it could be. The, the thing that I worry about, and again, can't see this enough times on this last episode, but 
uh, you know, teams like the Royals, they're they're trying out a lot of different things. So somebody like Oliveras, who seems to be an everyday or everyday player right now, you know, who knows if, if Kyle Isbell maybe can take some playing time away or uh, somebody else on that roster. But uh, I mean, now's as good a time as any, right? I mean, I, I do believe in the skills still. And the fact that Oliveras hasn't really gotten that extended look before means that I still hold out hope that you know, he, he can uh, approximate some of those better numbers from the minor leagues uh, if just given the chance. So maybe he's just going to continue to get that playing time uh, over the last week and a half. He mentioned the Royals giving some other players opportunities. Nate Eaton is among them, but he is running and running often right now. Yeah, and I was, frankly, I was surprised by the volume of the, uh, the, the stolen bases, and I don't think I'm alone in that because he is 3% rostered on CBS, I think, and I'm going by memory here, I think 1% on ESPN, so pretty almost universally available. So a lot of us, I think, have been sleeping on, on the stolen bases there. He is tied with Bubba Thompson for the most stolen bases in the month of September with eight. He's got 10 total on the season. So if you're looking at a 15-team league or maybe even a little bit deeper, Thompson is still under-rostered. But if it's a deep league where, where you know Thompson has been picked up, then Eaton's right there. And he's one of the few players, available players, who could realistically give you multiple stolen bases rest of season. I wonder if there's some uh, some similarities to the John Birdie profile. I mean, Eaton's a little bit old, but he got to the big leagues faster than Birdie did, plays multiple positions. The minor league production is so hard to trust because he was 25 this season when he was very good at both AA and AAA. But when you look at what he was doing, he was 12 for 13 as a base dealer in 37 games at AA. He was 11 for 15 in 54 games at AAA, and he's 10 for 10 in the big leagues in 34 games. Clearly, this is the thing that he can do that provides some value. But where the, the Birdie similarities come in is he's got at least what I would call the non-zero pop, maybe even a, a tick above that level, and he gets on base. And I think that was something I always underrated about John Birdie compared to the other late-season speedsters that would come up and, and get relied on at the end of a season is that a lot of those guys, they had major skills flaws getting on base. Eaton doesn't have that, and I think he might actually be a nice glue guy for them going the next season. I don't know if they would really look at him and say, we're starting him at third base every day or we're starting him in right field every day, but maybe he gets four starts a week because he's the primary backup at multiple spots. Yeah, the fact that he does have that versatility uh, makes that situation uh, somewhat plausible. And uh, yeah, I think he does you know, bring more than the stolen bases. Uh, he's hitting for average, uh, probably an unsustainably high average so far. Uh, but that's the thing, you know, somebody with speed, uh, even if they, they strike out a little too much, uh, they can still hit for a decent average. So, um, and he, he did show a little bit of power AAA. I don't want to oversell it. I, I wouldn't pick him up expecting him to knock a couple of homers uh, in the next week and a half. But like I said, two, three stolen bases is actually, a, for him, a realistic expectation. And, and maybe you do get a little bit more in addition to that. If you're looking for speed on the NL side and probably in some deeper mixed leagues as well, Michael Ciani could have a, a similar sort of impact. Most of this season has been spent at double A, 121 games there. He's 49 for 61 as a base stealer during his time there, 12 homers. So again, some some pop to go along with all that speed. And Nick Senzel is out for the season with his latest injury, unfortunately. So there's another spot that's opened up in the Reds outfield. So 
How do you compare Eaton to Siani if you're looking at speed options in a mixed league where both might be available? Yeah, it's it's pretty close. I I give definitely give the edge to to Eaton just because he's been up for a while. We've seen what he could do, whereas uh, Siani just came up. Uh, hasn't played a whole lot at AAA, so it, it's just more, I think, just the certainty, uh, and I think a little bit more certainty maybe in terms of playing time as well uh, for uh, for Eaton, but so you, you can't argue with the stolen base potential, and if that's what you need, I mean, these are what these players uh, are, are going to be targeted for, so... I you know I kind of like the way that you framed it that Siani maybe is the he's the NL version and um, I think that they both do have a little a little bit more appeal than just mono leagues but uh, yeah in a fifteen teamer if I needed steals that it'd probably be you know Eaton pick number one with you know one A being uh, being Siani. We talked about the possible power you get from Carlos Santana earlier and I certainly trust his track record a lot more to deliver down the stretch than I do. Uh, the profile of someone like Matt Walder, who's just getting this opportunity for the first time with the Twins, with the injuries that have piled up on Minnesota recently have opened the door for Walner to be an everyday player. There is swing and miss in that profile, but when he connects, he can do damage. What's your interest level in Walner this week? Not very high. Uh, now, if you ask me again on Sunday, it, it could be different because uh, the Twins have a number of players on the IL who could come back for this last week and a half or at least some portion of it. So you get one or two of those players coming back, and I think that Walner's just not going to have very much playing time. Uh, but I actually thought of, of Jake Cave as maybe a candidate for the column this week. He hasn't put up great surface numbers, but he's been hitting with a lot of raw power. Uh, but I worried about the same thing with Cave, uh, which is, uh, you know, if you've got some IL activations, how much playing time is he really going to get? So, and I think Cave may actually be more of a priority for me than Walner, and I have a little bit more certainty in the playing time. So, just for that reason alone, uh, I, I don't have much interest in Walner. Yeah, this is a really important time of the year to keep an eye on the news day to day going into the fab run on Sunday night because players might get shut down for the season. Some guys that look like they're going to come back, we might get an update that they had a setback or the team's just going to be careful with them because the playoff calculus changes just in a matter of days. So I highly recommend that you keep close tabs on the news. I mean, I think you do that most weeks anyway, but be extra careful just because the circumstances for playing time can change very quickly at this point in the season. Before we get into some pitchers we like, we got a question here from Matt. Matt is in his head-to-head finals and can add one stream, the focus being mostly on quality starts and then on strikeouts. Choices include Luis Ortiz at the Cubs, Davis Martin against the Tigers, or Dre Jameson against the Giants. Those are actually pretty good options, Al. They are. Uh, I, I think for me, it does come down to Ortiz and Jamison, and I, those are both good matchups. The Giants are just not doing much offensively lately, so I, I think that those are almost on a par. I think I'd give a slight edge to, to Jamison here. That's my gut, too. It's not that much of a gap. So, I mean, if it's the kind of thing, if, if Matt, if you, if you like Luis Ortiz a little more, you're not wrong to go that direction. It's that close. The other difference, though, for me, just from a pure matchups perspective, Jamison being at home versus Luis Ortiz being a young pitcher on the road. I mean, that's I know the Cubs are not difficult as a matchup right now. I know Wrigley Field's a, a good place to pitch so long as the wind's blowing in. Usually the wind is blowing in, but I do think home versus road with a young starter makes a bit of a difference when things are as close as they are, and this is definitely 
one of those cases. But good luck in your finals, Matt, and thanks for that question. Let's get to some of these pitchers that are available in a decent number of leagues. And I had Luis Ortiz first on the rundown. It seems like he's becoming a popular pickup heading into the weekend. I know Eno brought him up on Rates and Barrels yesterday as his prospect of the week. I think he was a guest on a podcast earlier in the week with James Anderson of Rotowire. They were talking about Ortiz together. I got outbid by by Shelley in Maki uh, for Luis Ortiz. So everyone loves Luis Ortiz right now. And the matchup this weekend is great. If you look beyond this weekend, it would be a road turn against St. Louis next week that you'd be picking him up for if you pick him up this weekend. Uh, the stuff numbers popped in Eno's model. That was a big part of why he liked him. The minor league numbers I thought were really good. The ERA was a little bit inflated because of a home run issue. And Luis Ortiz really doesn't have home run issues at other levels to be concerned about. So I do think this is kind of an underrated pitcher getting a late season opportunity who could be a pretty sneaky stream. The problem being the Cardinals might need that game, and that's a really difficult opponent to match him up against. Yeah, uh, Ortiz is sort of the Tovar of, of pitchers. Uh, in a different situation, I would be pretty aggressive in bidding for him. But with him, uh, after lineups lock on, on Monday, him uh, probably just having one start and that start being against the Cardinals. Uh, now there's a lot of a lot of other options. You know, this is it again. It, it differs uh, what your your league's rules are. Uh, I've been writing the column this week. I made the assumption that people are playing the t- the ten day scoring period. Uh, most of my leagues are are doing that. Uh, so. So a pitcher with two starts, um, and you know, unless just the matchups are really horrible, they're just going to have uh, an advantage over somebody like Ortiz who projects to get just one. So on that alone, and then the one start is potentially a tough one. Yeah, there's a few things to keep in mind as you think about Luis Ortiz. If you're in a league with a keeper component, I think you are right to pick him up and possibly have him available as a chief hold for next year. I think there is that type of, of ceiling in what he could bring to the table. Uh, Dre Jameson, I know we talked about him last week. He's passing all the tests so far. I think we mentioned that he had the same initial matchups as Ryan Nelson did upon arrival. And he gets another test after he faces the Giants this weekend. He'd go on the road to face Houston, which is another team that you don't really want to throw a young pitcher against, especially on the road if you're kind of thinking about it from the the bigger picture. And if it is one lineup period for the rest of the season, he'd also have a turn against the Brewers on the road on Monday, October 3rd. So what is your interest level in Dre Jamison factoring in the matchups and and the difficulty, at least of that first stop in Houston? Well, because of the pitchers that we're about to talk about, uh, I'm not really looking at Jamison in a a 12-team league. It might be a situation where if I just really want to ensure that I have somebody, I'm going to go very deep with my contingency bids. I wouldn't be completely afraid to use him with that potential two-step. But we're going to get to some pitchers who I like the matchups better. I like the certainty of the two starts better. And so for that reason, if Jamison were available in my 15-teamer, I would be fine with that. But much shallower, um, I would would uh, be making him a very low priority. It's pretty cool to get excited about a guy that had a 695 ERA at AAA this season, though. Season's on the line. Eh, tough matchups. I'm at least thinking about it. Like He's... He's more of a contingency backup option if you just need someone to replace an injured pitcher than someone you're putting high in the priority list because those matchups just, they're difficult. That's the bottom line for Dre Jameson. He's looked very good so far, though. Yet another reason to be excited about the Diamondbacks potentially uh, in 2023. 
Uh, Hayden Wisniewski has been a recent favorite on this pod. He's still pretty widely available. He's only rostered in 11% of CBS leagues at the time of this recording. So out there in plenty of places, the matchup as it currently lines up is home against the Phillies. Tough opponent, good environment though. I think it's doable in terms of streaming and being sort of okay with it. Wisniewski could get another turn at the Reds, either on the final day of the season or the second to last day of the season, depending on how the schedule falls. So uh, what are you doing with Hayden Wisniewski this weekend if he still has not been picked up in your league? Well, he's definitely a, a must-add in my 15-teamers. No, no doubt about that. And with that roster rate, that suggests that there's a really good chance that he's going to be out there. 12-teamers, he'll be a contingent bid, uh, and and I can endorse him as a contingent bid uh, a little bit better than I could with Jamison. Uh, those matchups do worry me a little bit. Like you said, there's something in each of them to be a little worried about with the Reds. Just, you know, any start against, a you know, even a kind of decent Reds uh, lineup, that, that could be really scary. Uh, the Phillies anywhere, potentially scary. So I don't love the matchups. I like what, what Wisniewski has done. You do also have to keep in mind that he's had a very, very easy schedule so far. These will, I think, easily be the toughest matchups that he's had. He did face the Reds once, but it was at home. And then the other three matchups were all pretty, pretty favorable. So he's had that in his favor. He's also uh, allowed a, a line drive rate of just about 10%, which is unsustainably low. So he's been good, probably just not quite as good as he has been. So I, I just worry about the uncertainty of how is he actually going to be against a, a much tougher opponent like the Phillies. Yeah, I think he's going to end up in my lineup in our 16-team keeper league because we do twice-weekly changes, and it's more just about getting anybody and everybody in. So I don't I don't think I have enough starters going in the first part of the week to skip him. In other circumstances, I do think it's going to be more of a 14-15-team league for me to want to confidently put him out there against the team playing for its playoff lives with that Phillies matchup coming up on Thursday. Uh, Cody Morris... A favorite of mine, as he's been discussed at least three shows in a row now. Faith finally paying off against the Twins in his last start. Six innings, six Ks, one earned run, one walk. That was the the key number because he's had some control issues since coming up. 81 pitches in that outing. So I think we're seeing that Cody Morris is stretched out. He will be used like a regular starter so long as he pitches well. Gets another turn this weekend before... Uh, we'll have to make a decision on waivers, but remaining schedule, home against the Rays, home against the Royals. How does Morris stack up to the likes of Wesneski and Ortiz and, and Dre Jameson? I like him a lot. I'm probably more excited about him than any pitcher we've talked about and any pitcher we're going to talk about. Uh, like you said, that one walk, very reassuring. Now, we don't want to maybe make too much of a single start, uh, but by the same token, let's not make too much of the one start that Morris made, I think it was against the angels where he walked five batters and that's, that's been the bulk of his walks across his four appearances so far. So the one thing that just stands out as a a potential problem is the walks that was really skewed by one performance. Other peripherals look great, very low contact rate uh, on swings uh, on in zone pitches for Morris. That's a stat that to me is really reassuring and it's more granular. So you can look at somebody like Morris, who's only tossed about 15 innings and say, okay, but on this, you know, per pitch and per swing basis, He's been highly effective, uh, just getting a lot of whiffs in general. Now he's stretched out, and he's got a great schedule the rest of the way. So, yeah, he's definitely relevant for 12-teamers for this last week. I have a question about someone who's already rostered pretty much everywhere, but are you 
in places where you might have him reserving Dustin May in a two-start week. I know people were frustrated that last time out against Arizona, he only went four innings, gave up five runs on seven hits. Kays have been there pretty consistently for him since returning, you know, late August return against the Marlins. Weird schedule for May so far. Two against the Marlins, two against the Padres, one on the road in San Francisco. That was a five scoreless. And then this last outing at home against the, the Diamondbacks was a clunker. I think I'm still using him, especially in a two-start week. But am I running through some some caution signs here? I, I don't think so. I, I think it's a tough decision. And that's, you know, that for me is the key distinction to make here because it's not that I think May is a, a must sit, but the fact that it's even a discussion at this point is probably not something you were expecting going into your final scoring period. So for me, it just, it, it depends on my alternatives. I, I could start, I mean, this is for me hypothetical because I don't have them anywhere, but I could start May, but I could just as easily bench him if I, if I feel better about, uh, about my alternatives. And that's not even something I would have thought was, was a possibility when he first came back. Yeah, I was trying to see, trying to set if I would sit him in a scenario if I were protecting ratios. And I, I don't, I don't think I could do it. I still think this, the skills look good. The stuff looks good. The consistency hasn't been there. But, I mean, think about it, right? If, if he's got two turns left this season, one of those has to be against the Rockies. And it's at home. It's not in Colorado. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cautiously go in and say he'll start to right the ship here in these last couple of turns before the regular season comes to a close. But I thought it was worth mentioning because it's not – it's not the easy lock him into your lineup that it should be for a two-start week. And, and for a guy that just has shown very good skills in the time that we've seen him in the big leagues. How about Michael Lorenzen? What is your interest level in Michael Lorenzen as a stretch run pickup? Really, really high. He's right up there uh, with me, with um, with Cody Morris. Uh, he's made three starts since coming back from a shoulder strain. He's been pretty good in each of those starts. The worst one was probably actually against the Astros, so you can maybe... Give him a mulligan because of the tough match, but tough matchup and the fact that that was his first start in more than two months after just coming off of the IL. So the two starts since since then look great. It's been getting whiffs. Uh, he's got uh, remaining starts against the A's. That's it. Uh, one home start, one road start. Matchups that you absolutely cannot argue with. Um, looking really good, uh, even though he's just you know very recently on the IL and he's RP eligible. So that's the thing. I mean, I'm in some head-to-head playoffs. Uh, there's that RP slot. It's a real. It's really hard to pick up uh, a closer right now and, and upgrade yourself for somebody uh, to get saves. But you can pick up uh, somebody like Lorenzo and put put him in that slot and get two great matchups over the last week and a half. Yeah, I think the matchups make me willing to trust them. If the matchups were closer to league average teams, I'd be a lot more careful just because the Ks haven't been there, but. Oakland is very streamable at this point. If you haven't been doing that, you've been missing some opportunities throughout the season. Uh, Bailey Ober should get two more starts between now and the end of the season. Only 23% rostered in CVS because of that lengthy stint on the IL. We talked about him a bit last week. Home against the White Sox, road against the Tigers. I think those matchups, especially with the Tigers matchup, it's good enough to go ahead and take that chance in most circumstances with Ober. I think so. There are you know other options that we've talked about, like Morris and and Lorenz and Wisniewski that uh, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't even necessarily be making a contingent bid for Ober in 12 team leagues. I think there's just too many options that I like better, but nothing wrong with starting him in a 14 or 15 teamer. And like you said, very good chance that you could actually add him in those deeper leagues. 
Josh Winder pretty widely available right now, too. He'll get the White Sox twice to close out the regular season if the Twins' current starting pitching schedule holds as expected. Uh, speaking of Bailey's, Bailey Falter, got to mention him again because they have a doubleheader coming up this week. And with that, he gets another turn in the rotation. And that turn looks like it's coming on the road against the Nationals. I'm yeah. here for that. I am too. I like that a lot. Uh, so we've talked a bit about being concerned about his his place in the rotation uh, rest of season. Of course, you know that, that's one start there that you can count on. Maybe he gets another, and uh, yeah, maybe doesn't make the top of the list here, but definitely somebody. Uh, I'm on the radar in 12, t- 12 team leagues, and uh, if you can somehow add him in deeper leagues, I'm not sure how likely that is, but if you can, definitely do it. So I know we're probably five weeks now away from Halloween. Scary two-star pitchers for this week. If you're just chasing bulk, you just want innings. You need innings. You're just trying to catch lightning in a bottle. You're just trying to get lucky. I saw two that are almost universally available. Adrian Hauser, home against the Cardinals, home against the Marlins. Some innings concerns because of effectiveness. He's been throwing plenty of pitches, 82, 85, and 74 pitches his last three outings. Adrian Hauser has a 2.89 ERA and a 1.13 WHIP in September, and I think it's because I watched his worst start most closely. That that just doesn't. I, I think it's an error. I, I, I read that and I wanted to complain. <laughs> I wanted to send an email to Fangrass like, "Hey, I think this is broken." And no, that, that's actually that's actually what has happened in September. So. You know, Miami is not a team you're ever worried about, but the Cardinals, especially going into American Family Field, it's a hitter-friendly environment. I think every single game still matters for the Brewers. They have to manage a guy like Hauser very carefully. If he's in any sort of trouble and they can bring in a fresh bullpen arm, he's going to leave that game early. So I just think there's there's a lot of risk like within the start itself because of, of all the circumstances around it. But what are you doing if... If you're just desperate for innings, is Adrian Hauser an option or do you just turn somewhere else? I don't know how available he would be in the, the leagues that are deep enough where I would need those innings uh, because <laughs> of a lack of other alternatives. So it's a, it's a tough spot to be. I mean, if he's available in, in really deep leagues, like pro- we're talking almost certainly more than 15 teams, um, then yeah, uh, in that particular circumstance where I'm looking for bulk, bring it on, cross your fingers. I had to throw a name out there that is also widely available that I would definitely not want to start uh, or someone that I would prefer Hauser to at least. And it's Corey Abbott because Corey Abbott is with the Nationals, got a home matchup against Atlanta and he's got a home matchup against Philadelphia, which is just a miserable two-step for the end of the season for a guy just currently holding onto a spot in that Nats rotation. I think part of it's just the win probability too. The likelihood of him getting a win is so much lower than than Hauser because Hauser gets that second turn against the Marlins, which is easily the best start of any of the matchups those guys have. Yeah, Abbott would not be uh, a shoe in to start for an N only team for me with those yeah. uh, with those matchups. So, yeah, I think that's all I can really say about that. All right, let's move on to the <laughs> the last push for saves. This surprised me, too, when I was poking around the leaderboards earlier today. Domingo Acevedo has four saves in the last two weeks. He's tied for third. There are five other guys that also have four saves. There's a couple guys that have more. Very unexpected, because I thought A.J. Puck was maybe emerging to take on that role. 
for the A's. So if you're looking for saves, I think it's guys like Domingo Acevedo. It's frequently mentioned Jose Leclerc still getting some opportunities in that Rangers bullpen or a take your chances on a Diamondbacks reliever, maybe between Reyes Maranta and and Joe Maniply, they actually just combined to cop a lead against the Dodgers and, and lose uh, a save opportunity on Thursday night. So is there anybody else that's on your radar? And, and are you interested in Acevedo as maybe the best option of, of that group? I, I wouldn't say best option because I'm actually have been starting Leclerc. And uh, I mentioned before uh, a 12 team head to head team that's that's in a playoff. I've been starting Leclerc in that. So it's, you know, the, the high stakes part of the season. Uh, it's a relatively shallow league and he's been coming through. He's been delivering. So uh, I, I feel the best about Leclerc here. But I think if we are talking a little bit deeper of a league where Leclerc probably isn't available, then I'd be fine with Acevedo. I mean, at this point, if you're talking about needing needing saves, um, at this point, it's just somebody that you think is going to get the most chances. And obviously, the the closer for the A's is ideally not that person that you're going to be counting on. But you know, given what the the closer pool looks like right now, he probably would be your best bet in a deeper league, and I'd be fine with it. And with like you said, two series between the Angels and A's, right? Talking about Taylor Ward. Earlier on, well, the good news for Domingo Acevedo is the Angels are just bad, just like the A's. Yeah. So two bad teams play, uh, save opportunities tend to pop up. So actually, I'm with you. If Leclerc's available, he's better. Uh, I think the skills there get a little overlooked. We're talking about a guy that's now over 200 innings for his career. He's missed a lot of time with injuries. 314 ERA, 120 whip, 315 strikeouts, over 234 and two-thirds innings for Jose Leclerc. It's really good. It's 12 Ks per nine, about 32% of the batters he's faced have struck out. And the thing that he's doing this season, he's walking batters at the lowest rate of his career, a 9.6% walk rate, a big step in the right direction for Leclerc skills-wise. If if you don't add any established veterans to that bullpen in the offseason, I think he probably enters 2023 as the favorite to close in Texas. Now without competition, I think a healthy Joe Barlow could push him because Barlow still looks like a pretty pretty good skills play in the the back end of that Texas rotation as well. Uh, any other relievers that you've been thinking about here over the last uh, last week or so? No, not not really. Um, Kyle Finnegan was somebody who kind of popped back up on my radar after having dropped him a couple of weeks ago. But I think that the two that we just talked about, Leclerc and Acevedo, in terms of uh, closers who are uh, likely to, to be helpful, uh, that that's what I would go for. And I, I think it's kind of past the time to be looking at non-closers because even if you're looking at somebody who, you know, pitches uh, bulk innings in, in relief, uh, I don't know that there's anybody good enough that can help you with the, you know, maybe three or four innings that they'll, they'll give you rest of season. So it's really a pretty small pool at this point of, of relievers that could make any sort of difference. Yeah, I think part of the reason the reliever section of the show gets a little thin for the last month, last six weeks, is there are teams that start to punt saves, and your league might actually have a more established option for saves available simply because someone someone else in the league decided they weren't chasing the category anymore. So the widely available players at this point in the year chasing that category tend to be pretty underwhelming, and I would agree with you. I would not bother with those those bulk relievers right now if you can help it. I just think that's a, a particularly weird group of players to try and roster in the final days of the season. 
that's going to do it. It's our last waiver wire episode of the 2022 season. Al, it's been a blast doing these shows with you pretty much every week, all season. I think we did, I don't know, 24 out of 26 together. I think we, we were here a lot. Again, we didn't move across the country during the season. So that seemed to help quite a bit, but it was a, it was a great time doing the show with you. Likewise, likewise. So, uh, so glad that I had the opportunity to, to be here on these Fridays with you. And, uh, I've enjoyed the format. I've enjoyed the questions that everybody's, uh, contributed to the show and, uh, been a blast of you. I've been great working with you. Yeah. And shout out to the handful of folks that have checked in throughout the year on the actual live stream. No idea if we'll have the live stream portion of this pod in the future. We'll, we've tried a couple different times, uh, in the last couple seasons and, we're happy to have a few people to tag along and ask questions. We appreciate you and everybody who listened uh, to the podcast version, of course, throughout the year as well. Uh, if you made it all season and you didn't buy a subscription to The Athletic, you could you know, make our bosses happy by buying one for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. Give Al a follow on Twitter at AlMelchiorBB. Give me a follow at Derek Ben Riper. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Thank you.